This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee. The governor has announced the next group of people for vaccinations. He wants cops and teachers, 50 and over, to get their shots when the feds set up their new vaccination centers. We're going to continue uh, to make all those sites available for our seniors, but the federally supported sites, we want that to be open not just to seniors, but to sworn law enforcement and classroom teachers. And so we'll start probably 50 and up uh, for the for the police uh, and, and the classroom teachers. The state reported 5,600 new cases of COVID Tuesday, 154 additional fatalities. Our death toll is now 30,749. The governor has been accused of playing politics with COVID vaccine by setting up sites in affluent neighborhoods instead of underserved communities. His response? It's the other side that's playing games. I mean, you're right. There is a political motivation. I'm not sure the calculation. I mean, I don't think it's an effective political attack to attack me for vaccinating seniors. Yes, we are aggressively vaccinating seniors. No one attacked DeSantis for vaccinating seniors. They simply questioned the governor's apparent preference for affluent neighborhoods. But if you don't like the question, just answer the one you wish they had asked. Is it any wonder the governor ended up on The Daily Show? Hey, Florida, looking for the red carpet treatment for your COVID vaccine? Then come on down to Ron DeSantis' Club Vax. Throughout the COVID crisis, the governor has used emergency orders to set the safety rules, preempting authority of cities and counties. But Ben Wilcox at Integrity Florida says the legislature has taken preemption to the next level. It used to be that preemption was used sparingly and in a more thoughtful uh, manner, but now it's almost become weaponized by the, the Florida legislature. Every year we're seeing you know, multiple attempts to preempt local government action on a whole variety of of issues. Today on the Sunrise interview, we talk with Florida politics publisher Peter Schorsch about the upcoming session. He says the number one priority of Republican leaders this year appears to be own the libs. That's what this is shaping up to be. Oh, yeah. It seems like the Republican, their number one priority is to own the libs. And, you know, if you look at the polling, Owning the libs is the priority for a lot of Republicans. It's not even necessarily any particular policy. It's not conservatism or tax cuts. But at the national level, the idea of owning the libs in and of itself um, is is the number one goal. And that's translating down to the Florida legislative session. That's why we've seen... The Suwannee River Water Management District approves a permit allowing Nestle to suck more than a million gallons a day out of Ginny Springs. Representative Joy Goff-Marcel says it's a threat to the entire state. This decision directly affects all Floridians as it poses a clear and present threat to Florida's water supply and sets a dangerous precedent for the future where large corporations will seek to take advantage of our incredible natural resources without accountability or responsibility for damage to Florida's pristine environment. We'll also have your calendar of political events, plus the story of a Florida woman accused of robbing a bank on a motorized wheelchair. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity Florida. 
And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, February 24th. This is National Tortilla Chip Day. It was on this date in 1868 the U.S. House voted to impeach President Andrew Johnson. In 1942, just two months after the attack at Pearl Harbor, the skies over Los Angeles were filled with anti-aircraft fire. Spotlights flooded the night sky looking for Japanese planes. It was a false alarm triggered by a stray weather balloon. But five people died, three in car accidents during the panic, two from heart attacks. It became known as the Battle of Los Angeles and was the incident that inspired the John Belushi movie 1941. Speaking of movies, it was one year ago today that Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein was found guilty of rape and sexual assault in a landmark case that ignited the Me Too movement. Florida's Department of Health reported 5,610 new cases of COVID-19 Tuesday and 154 additional fatalities. The death toll stands at 30,749. The total number of cases, 1,879,000. When the Biden administration first announced the Federal Emergency Management Agency would set up COVID vaccination sites across the country, Governor Ron DeSantis dismissed the idea, saying Florida doesn't need what he called FEMA camps. Those are very specific words. There is a conspiracy theory that the deep state plans to move U.S. citizens into FEMA camps after a major crisis or disaster and that undesirables will be culled from the herd as part of the New World Order. So the theory is that FEMA camps would be America's own concentration camps. But you'll be glad to know the governor isn't using those words anymore. He's actually enthused and wants to use the federal vaccination centers to provide shots for teachers and police who are 50 or older. We are very happy uh, that we're going to have some federally supported sites, including one in Miami-Dade County. It's going to have one in Hillsborough, Orange, and Duval. Uh, and this is coming in with federal resources. We, we have to basically manage it at the state level, but they're going to put in additional doses above and beyond the state's allotment. allotment. And these are tens of thousands of doses uh, in a given week. And so we're excited about that. And because we have these extra doses, of course, we're going to continue uh, to make all those sites available for our seniors. Uh, but the federally supported sites, if, if, as long as it, it works out to where the doses will be allowed for this, we want that to be open not just to seniors, but to sworn law enforcement and classroom teachers. And so we'll start probably 50 and up uh, for, the, for the police uh, and, and the classroom teachers. Uh, the fire who hasn't gotten it, some of the fire have already gotten it, uh, will do it. We've also polled all the police and sheriff's departments, and they're getting us information about how many folks uh, do they have that are sworn law enforcement officers, uh, what, what about 50 plus, and then of that, how many want it? And our goal is, is to be able uh, to get that as more vaccine becomes available. And I think we're gonna have the ability to do that between these federally supported sites and some of the new vaccine that may be coming online very, very soon. Congressman Charlie Crist of St. Petersburg has accused the governor of playing politics with the vaccine by creating pop-up centers at locations to benefit his political allies and donors, letting them go to the head of the line while people in less affluent areas are stuck on a waiting list. Crist is asking the Justice Department to investigate, and when he was asked about it, DeSantis chuckled. Then he said there's really no problem here, at least not on his part. So, well, a couple of things I'd say. I mean, you're right, there is a political motivation I'm not sure the calculation. I mean, I don't think it's an effective political attack to attack me for vaccinating seniors. Yes, we are aggressively vaccinating seniors. And I don't care 
what, who you vote for, any of that. And I think the, the, the proof in the pudding on that is that Broward has had the most of these senior community visits of any other place in the state. And that was something because we knew we could get a lot of these done very early on. So we're proud of vaccinating seniors. We're going to keep doing it. I can tell you the seniors, when we visit these communities and are able to do it, man, they are so, so thankful. Some of the correspondence I get It's just so very, very heartfelt. And again, this isn't taking away anything that is going to any of these counties. This is additional ways where you can go in and over a matter of days, knock out potentially an entire community of seniors um, and get thousands and thousands of doses. I mean, some of these Century Village, they were doing 4,000 doses in in over the course of a few days. Uh, So that's really, um, uh, really, really important. And it's going to be an important part of our effort. Now, we've done 4 million shots and about 75,000 have gone to the senior, uh, the senior uh, 55 and up program, uh, just as the churches have a certain number of it. So I think all those are effective and we're going to keep doing all of them. Christ is not the only one accusing DeSantis of playing pandemic politics. The governor made those remarks at a pharmacy in Hialeah, where he announced vaccines will be offered at a string of Hispanic pharmacies in Miami-Dade. Now, Hialeah's mayor, Carlos Hernandez, was watching from the back. He's been feuding with DeSantis for the past year and says the governor has ignored the needs of his city. I'm very grateful uh, to CBS and Navarro that they did this. But first of all, I was not invited to this just like I was not invited to a previous meeting, even though Hialeah is one of the cities most affected by COVID. They talked about no politics. You saw it here in plain picture. But the important thing is, and what I wanted to let the governor know, is that the local governments are ready to work, to help CBS in these places distribute uh, these vaccinations. But again, uh, I don't know why he doesn't want to talk to me or invite me anywhere when Hialeah is the sixth largest city in the state and one of the most affected. So I just wanted to hear what he had to say. Didn't say much about Hialeah, to be honest with you, the, the needs that we have in our community. But again, it's not about politics, according to the governor. So I'm here to listen and to defend the city of Hialeah and try to get the most in our city, because we still have not received the percentage of vaccines um, according to our senior citizen population. He even mentioned Brow or some other place that more than I do. All I do is fight for my citizens, my family, which is the city of Hialeah. I don't care if he likes me or not. I think he doesn't. But I'm not here because of that. I was here to listen, and I really didn't hear much for the city of Hialeah. This was just another bite, another political bite, just like, you know, I was very honored and very happy when a couple of weeks ago he came to the Bay of Pigs veterans to give, what, 100 shots? I need help from my people in the city of Hialeah. And I've been saying that since this, this thing started, and this has been the epicenter here in the city of Hialeah. And it's sad that he talks about politics that are involved. Come on. I mean, you know what? Give me the vaccines, the city of Hialeah, and that's my message I have for them. We're ready. We've been ready. We showed it the other day. We did a thousand people in a few hours, and they didn't have to go anywhere. We will go to them. So his actions speak for himself. No matter which side you think is being more political, you've got to admit it's getting interesting, and people have noticed. The governor made The Daily Show, where they produced a custom commercial for the Ron DeSantis Club Vax. Hey, Florida, looking for the red carpet treatment for your COVID vaccine? Then come on down to Ron DeSantis' Club Vax. Make the donations rain and cut to the front of the line to get vaccinated. Club Vax offers first-rate vial service straight to your table. With sparklers. Skip the website, skip the phone calls, skip the poor people in line. You earned this. At Club Vax, every night is two-for-one shot night. It's classy and classist. And to all the Floridians who got stopped by the bounce. Keep this in mind. I wouldn't be complaining. I'd be thankful that we're able to do it. Ron DeSantis' Club Vax. Putting the 
play and pay to play. One thing the governor has done during the pandemic is to use his executive orders to prevent local governments from enforcing any health or safety rules he doesn't like. The technical term is preemption, and he's not the only one doing it. Ben Wilcox with Integrity Florida says the legislature has pretty much gone off the deep end. The original idea was to set uniform rules so the law doesn't change when you go from county to county. But Wilcox says preemption is now being used whenever conservatives in the legislature get upset about progressive policies by local governments. A lot of the preemptions that are being proposed are are politically and ideologically motivated. They are definitely aimed at, you know, as one uh, legislative leader characterized it, they're, they're aimed at rogue cities that are out there adopting, you know, progressive ordinances that they feel help help their citizens, but the Republican state legislature doesn't like those those kind of progressive measures like you know, increasing the minimum wage or, you know, gun regulation or sick time, ordinances that help workers, you know, and, and help uh, low-income and minority populations. And so, yes, definitely, it's a, that is a big motivating factor from the legislature. And, you know, preemption can be justified when, it, when it's used to just ensure consistency between state and local law. Preemption crosses the line when it's just used to block, you know, and prevent local governments from acting on on various issues. And it used to be that preemption was used sparingly and in a more, you know, thoughtful uh, manner. But now it's just it's almost become weaponized by the the Florida legislature. That every year we're seeing, you know, multiple attempts to preempt local government action on a whole variety of of issues. Integrity Florida just released a new report on preemption, calling it an attack on home rule in Florida. Now, the funny thing about this issue is many of the lawmakers who clamor for preemption of local governments are the same ones who express outrage when the federal government does it to them. Because, you know, there's nothing Big Brother hates more than being reminded he's under the thumb of an even bigger brother. Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview is my boss, Peter Schorsch, the publisher of Florida Politics. Hey, Peter, what's happening, man? Man, you know no one can be your boss. Come on, that's 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 impossible. Uh, I'm good. How are you, Rick? I'm good. I'm good. And we all have bosses. Never doubt that for a moment. This is our big time of the year. I mean, everyone's cranked up. The session starts next week. I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of wondering, what's the game plan? How are we going to face this one? Because it's going to be a killer. It is a... Um... It's completely different than any session we've had before, and I'm sure people say that, but, you know, the protocols in place um, really have changed the game. You know, I've talked to a bunch of people, and, you know, if you don't know the lawmakers, uh, you know, if you don't know their text messages, text numbers, and you don't know the numbers to their backup phones, the real phones they use, um, you know, you're going to be SOL. It's going to be a very interesting session because of, you know, basically the disconnect between the lawmakers in that bubble of the Capitol and then the, the public, the lobbyists, the, the media at large that, you know, is just not going to have the same access that it's uh, used to. You know, I have noticed that they, they almost seems like a liberating thing for a lot of them. They seem more relaxed when they're in the committee rooms. Uh, there's, there's more of an interchange. And if it wasn't for the technical glitches, I'd say most of them seem to be happier this way. It's almost like the NBA with the bubble, you know, the way they did that over the summer and uh, free throw percentages went up, shooting percentages went up, uh, and it's because they didn't have to deal with some of the same pressures uh, that they had to do traveling every two days, you know, staying in a hotel room. I feel like 
the 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 lawmakers may be getting some of the LeBron James effect. I imagine they're also getting a bit uh, used to not having lobbyists hanging over their shoulders in the office, in the hallways, in the cafeterias. Any of your lobbyist friends uh, really stressing out because of the new prohibitions? Yeah, there's you know there's there's the lobbyists that were genuinely close to a lot of the members, and and that those relationships are still strong. But you got, look at it this way: if you were a lobbyist, you were maybe just getting into the industry. You did not have all the fundraisers of the campaign season to get to know some of these people. There wasn't the swanky, um, you know, vacation out to the uh, Pebble Beach golf course. Uh, there wasn't the, uh, you know, trips down to Key West, all that stuff that we hear about. You know, that by and large didn't happen for most people. And then there wasn't the organized walks, all the campaigning. You know, lobbyists spend a lot of the summer and early fall, you know, doing organized walks for you know, mostly the incumbents and stuff like that. And that didn't happen. And then, you know, the lawmakers themselves, there hasn't been like the freshman academies and things like that. So there is a, um, there, people are kind of going into this session a little uh, less informed, uh, maybe cold, um, than they have in sessions uh, previous. I guess we have to step it up then on our part. So what are you picking as your top issues of the session? Well, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to talk to my main man, Rick, up there. and I'm, I'm kind of trying to stake out a claim here. You know, it's like um, um, the Mean Girls, you know, I'm trying to make fetch <laughs> happen here. Yeah. I wanted this to be, you know, the Own the Libs session. This, that's what this is uh, shaping up to be. Oh, which yeah. Is, <laughs> it seems like the Republicans, their number one priority is to own the libs. And, you know, if you look at the polling, Owning the libs is the priority for a lot of Republicans. It's not even necessarily any particular policy. It's not conservatism or tax cuts. But at the national level, the idea of owning the libs in and of itself um, is, the, is the number one goal. And that's translating down to the Florida legislative session. That's why we've seen the anti-protest legislation, the anti-big tech uh, legislation, um, the academic survey legislation. I think so much of it is simply about owning the libs getting on Newsmax, sending out the fundraising emails. Um, there isn't a lot of COVID legislation. There isn't a lot of big uh, packages. It's, it's basically about owning the libs. And that starts from Governor DeSantis, who seems like his, his number one priority on some days is, um, you know, coming up with something to say so he can get on the Laura Ingram show. And, of course, when you talk about own the libs, they include on that list the big tech giants that they attempt to slap around Facebook and Twitter and the, you know, the alphabet companies. What do you think of the prospects that the Florida legislature could actually do something that Google would notice? Uh, probably 10 percent. Here's how you know that they're not really worried. If these were, if these were really pressing issues, you'd see, you would see hundreds of lobbyists signed up for at this point. But at the, if you look at the, the FANG companies, Facebook, Apple, uh, Netflix, Google, et cetera, you know, if you look at them, they really only have like one or maybe two firms representing them in Tallahassee. Whereas in DC, you know, Facebook's got a big army. Uh, they have lobbied up significantly in DC over the last five years. Um, until I see a bunch of lobbyist registrations, I, I don't think that the uh, that Silicon Valley is too worried about Tallahassee. But it's always fun to make a lot of noise because you sure do generate donations that way, don't you? Oh, sure. I mean, there's no bigger, you know, picking on Zuckerberg, uh, you know, picking on Jeff Bezos is, uh, is a quick way to raise a few thousand dollars for your 
campaign committee. Now, I got to tell you, I'm kind of philosophically torn on this because I dropped off of Facebook years ago. I just considered it a time suck that got in people's ways. And now to find myself aligned politically with the governor on an issue, well, it's it's an interesting situation. You know, I'm one of these people that uses Facebook, uh, you know, for apolitical reasons. And so I still enjoy it. Like, I just like looking, you know, and this is the creepiest thing I'm going to say all day. <laughs> you know, I like looking at other people's kids. I like looking at, you know, holiday displays. I like looking at, uh, you know, the plates of great food or vacation photos. You know, I don't know when it got turned into this, like, political forum the way, quite honestly, it, 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 this is how it was in the Middle East during the Arab Spring, where, you know, in uh, 2011 and so forth, they just skipped, many of those populations skipped the communal aspects of social media, and they went right into the political organizing of it. And and that, you know, that's what led to a lot of the unrest and political uh, back and forth in some of those countries. And it seems like America, which had been using social media for the fun communal stuff, uh, had not weaponized social media. But now, certainly in the Trump era, the last couple of years, we've weaponized social media. And so it's just not as much fun as it used to be. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Final thoughts on the upcoming session, Mr. Schorsch? We will be out early. Uh, I don't think anybody, you know, we say that every year, you know, they're, that they're going to, you know, have to go long. I think this is going to be one of those sessions where, man, if they could be done on day 57, day 58, uh, and not have to deal with another COVID test or something like that, I think that they will do it. Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview has been Peter Schorsch, and you can check out his stories at floridapolitics.com. The Suwannee River Water Management District has approved a new permit allowing Nestle to suck more than a million gallons a day from Ginny Springs, which is one of Florida's most beautiful natural resources. Mike Roth is president of a group called Our Santa Fe River, and he says this is not over. Insert Mike Roth. State Representative Joy Goff-Marcel lives in the Orlando area, far from Ginny Springs and the Santa Fe River, but she says this decision affects the entire state. This decision directly affects all Floridians as it poses a clear and present threat to Florida's water supply and sets a dangerous precedent for the future where large corporations will seek to take advantage of our incredible natural resources without accountability or responsibility for damage to Florida's pristine environment. Having access to clean water is imperative to the health and safety of our state. That access needs to be prioritized to Florida residents visiting families, and individuals, and also the native plant and animal life in the area, not to those wishing to package and profit from the water, ship it out of the area, and deplete what is available to the people and wildlife that live here, and we depend on this water. Nestle's only paying about $115 for that million-gallon-a-day permit, and they won't say how much they're paying the company that owns the wells. But Representative Anna Eskimani of Orlando says that water actually belongs to the people of Florida, so Nestle should pay just as much as the rest of us do. As a citizen, I pay when I use water. I pay right for my faucet. And so the fact that a private company like Nestle can just come in, negotiate with a private seller on a on a cost that we're not privy to, is a major concern just when it comes to public transparency. Um, the public is in the dark. It's a public good, and yet it is pumped by private companies with very little consequences. And then we pay the damaging cost of water restoration projects and trying to revitalize the Santa Fe River and other waterways. 
it does not make sense and it is dangerous long-term to operate like this. And so we need political courage to do something about it as a legislature. And I am damn proud to be part of those efforts. I'm not gonna stop until we get some sort of, of, of consistent measurement in place that values this public good and so that corporate decisions are made with some sort of sense of responsibility to the people of this state and to our water. The state's already spending about $50 million over the next two years to try to restore springs that are running low. And Escamani says the last thing we should do is give that water away. Your calendar of political events is next, plus the story of a Florida woman accused of robbing a bank in a wheelchair. That's just how she rolls. But first, a word from the sponsors. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to the Sunrise Calendar. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission, which was created after the mass shooting at Parkland, holds an online meeting at 9. The Economic Estimating Conference meets at 9 to analyze issues related to the national economy. Trustees at Valencia College meet at 9.30 in Orlando. The Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30. The Revenue Estimating Conference meets at 2. Trustees at the College of Central Florida meet at 3 in Chiefland. And the Hillsborough Community College trustees hold a workshop at 3, followed by a board meeting at 4 in Tampa. Finally today, a Florida woman in a motorized wheelchair is accused of robbing a bank in Jacksonville before making a low-speed getaway. It happened at a Regents Bank located just a few blocks from the sheriff's headquarters. Investigators say 39-year-old Kenita Gordon went there to talk about her account, but there was an argument with the teller it got out of hand. The arrest report says Gordon threatened to kill everyone in the bank and announced she was robbing it. She left after they gave her $100 and was arrested a short time later. She's charged with strong-arm robbery and possession of paraphernalia. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.